0: This podcast is a frank discussion on sexual assault. If you are in the USA for free and confidential help, call 1-800-865-HOPE. In Australia for confidential counseling and support in cases of sexual assault or abuse, please call 1-800-RESPECT. Chris Pedretti was 15 years old when the infamous Golden State Killer broke into her family's home and viciously raped her just before Christmas in 1976. Chris was quoted many years later. She said, my world was small, predictable, and safe. By the time that night came to an end, my world changed forever. I sang Jesus Loves Me in my head as I waited, waited to die. For over four decades, Chris Pedretti lived in a debilitating silence. 44 years later, Chris stood in a sacramental courtroom facing Joseph James D'Angelo and delivered a soul-stirring victim impact statement with extraordinary courage, bravery, force, and mindful strength. Today, we meet Chris Pedretti. We learn about this remarkable human spirit who has transformed unimaginable pain into power by sharing her voice and story with all of us via her Facebook support group called Sexual Assault Survivors. It's time to tell your story. Chris, it is my honor and privilege to call you my friend and to welcome you to Open Stance. Morning, Chris. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Um, really well, thanks. Just here in Sydney, Australia, and really looking forward to uh, to today. Thanks for being here.
1: Oh, absolutely! Thank you for inviting me. I'm quite excited.
0: All right, let's um, tell our listeners where are you tuning in from. Where does this podcast find you today?
1: I am in Sacramento,
0: California, United States. Awesome. And Chris, um, can you just give us a little a little feeling on how you're feeling today and why it's important that you're here doing this podcast episode today.
1: Yeah, of course. I feel really hopeful and positive for um, survivors of sexual assault. I know that it's so difficult and the journey seems long, but with every step I know for myself, I get stronger. And I could not have done that without people that supported me and loved me and was there every step of the way with me. And I just want to, I just want to offer that to anyone that needs that support and wants to have that hope because it is definitely achievable to get through this journey and end up in one piece at the end.
0: Yeah. And I just think that a starting point today is, is going to be a very long period of silence in your life. And that silence has everything to do with where you are today. So um, are you able to give us a little insight into something I came across in a couple articles since you've been interviewed in the last couple of years. There's a quote, my rules, you don't talk about this. Um, can you share with us a little bit about what that is, what the, what that quote from you means, where it came from, and how it led to 42 years of your life of silence? Yes.
1: Yeah, so uh, the night after, well, the night of the attack, um, my dad and mom, you know, came home, they were at a Christmas party. And, you know, it was quite traumatic, the police were there. Um, you know, then it was off to the hospital for the rape exam and whatnot. And our family had never been one that was very huggy or I love you. I I don't think I heard that from my parents. I knew they loved me, but it just wasn't who they were. And the next morning we got a lecture of, you don't talk about this ever to anyone. And he told my sister to call him sick, but don't tell them why. And that was it. We never talked about it. It just was shunned. And even, even after, um, years and years had passed, I would try to bring it up and it was just radio silence. So I think it was probably a rape culture, um, on steroids back in the seventies, but you don't talk about this to anybody under any circumstance.
0: And we didn't even my sister and i didn't talk about it to each other and, and it's crazy to me because this is <laughs> you talk about survivors and in such a common commonality between stories is living in silence right so right. so many times you meet survivors and there's that there's that moment where oh, it's very few people that actually talk about it most people live with it for so many years but that's a secret. A lot of times we keep secrets. I kept a secret, but yours wasn't a secret. Your assault was, uh, known to your whole family, but it was more an order of silence that was Mm. put upon you, which is something that I've never come across today. So that is something, um, I find is, is really fascinating that you would have had to struggle with not just living, not your choice to hold a secret, Um, but being ordered into silence and, and how long did that end up going for Chris? What was, what was,
1: well, that went, um, really until, uh, three weeks before he was caught just by happenstance. So I, um, through those years, and I think anyone that has had to keep a secret, like this, whether you're ordered to or not, probably you may have felt the same way, you know, you may not talk about it, but you're still isolated, you feel it inside, probably every day, there is something that churns inside of you and you try to escape it. For me, I tried drugs, I tried alcohol, um, I had no idea how to have a relationship, so I had a lot of failed relationships, and I and I had anxiety, but never did I connect that To the assault ever because i just didn't know i was young i was only 15. um and so i was fast forward all the way to like uh, 2017 2018 early i was at a um, a work event and they wanted us to like it was a trust exercise right so tell your deepest secret to somebody and of course i was not going to do that but it was burning inside of me like somebody invited that secret out and they had no idea what that secret was they probably were talking about some work thing or you know I don't know but that's what was burning in in my mind and so afterwards um my supervisor and I we went we had a drink in the bar because it was at the you know in the hotel and I told her and I just was like wait the world nothing has come down on me. The building is still there. The world is still spinning. She's looking a little surprised, but she was very supportive. And that night I went to bed thinking I told somebody, it was crazy. And then, um, a couple months later in February, there was a newspaper article with a a victim of the East area rapist, golden state killer in there telling her story. And I was just like in shock, like, wow, like you're not supposed to do that because this is, this, you don't talk about it. In my mind, wasn't just because my dad told me it was, that's just not what you do. Like, that's the rule for everybody, you know, because nobody talks about it. And uh, so I wrote to the editor and asked him to, for her to call me if she would. And she did. And, um, she, unbeknownst to me, there are many books about us. I had no idea I was in a book. And she said, how about if I read you your attack, which looking back, I don't think it was that appropriate, but I was like, okay. And she read it to me and I just wasn't like in shock because it had been so many years and I just was astounded and still am, but there's books that detail every one of our attacks without us even knowing it. And, um, Anyway, so long story short, uh, she had referred me to another girl that was more my age. She was 13 when she was assaulted and I was 15. And so her name is Margaret. And she called me and said, hey, um, was it Carol Daly? Great. She was the investigator, prime investigator of that series. And um, I said, I don't, I don't know her. You know, my attack was in December, right before Christmas, a week before. And so maybe she was on vacation or I don't know. And, um, and the next day, Carol, Margaret reached out to Carol and then Carol came to my home and she brought me my police report and I called my sister and my husband came home from work and we read the report together and makes me a little teary because it was so emotional, but it was so liberating, you know? And then, um, the next week, I believe I told my daughter and then I told my son and then three weeks later he was caught it's like I don't know karma because I don't know what would have happened I know if if I had heard that like this monster got from the dead and I had no preparation you know at least I had my police report I had a support system and um it didn't have to turn out that way but it did so
0: what um, Chris so After 42 years of literally holding that silence, what what did it feel like for others listening right now? What did it feel like to hear your own voice talking about this beast that was inside you and everything that you were living with, to actually hear your voice say these things out loud for the first time? I think
1: the best word for that is surreal, Mm -hmm. right? I had convinced myself he was dead. I even I remember uh, wondering, did I make this up? And I, I know listeners can understand that because we bury it so deep that at times we feel like we're crazy, like this nah this didn't happen because we disassociate so much, right? It gets compartmentalized. Um, so I think surreal would be the best feeling, like kind of like this isn't real. Like someone's talking, but it isn't me. Right. I'm hearing the voice,
0: but I'm not connecting it to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's otherworldly sometimes. Uh, (laughs) So what was it like with, okay. So you said you were having, uh, okay. Your husband, your daughter, who else was there that was around at the time? What was their response to all this? Well, my husband already knew but all I ever told him was that I got raped
1: by the East area rapist. It never even occurred to me to go into detail and he never asked. So it was kind of like a disclosure. You know, you should know this about me, but then I would just move on. And so I think that my sister and my husband were together with me when Carol Daly came and for my sister, it was I don't even know the word for her because she had all of these misconceptions and ideas in her head that she couldn't she didn't have anyone to ask and so all of a sudden now she could talk so it was really i think a very liberating moment for she and i probably more than me and my husband
0: because this ended the 42 years of silence and she she, she was living in the silence as well she was basically ordered into a different type of silence as a a witness really absolutely so
1: um and then with my husband now I think he was able to understand more of me like why I don't want him whispering in my ear you know and why I really don't like to stay home alone or don't walk up behind me and surprise don't do that because that's not good for but he never could understand that. And it never occurred to me to explain why. So I think that day brought a lot of clarity to who I was. And, um, and I do think this is very important. You know, when people silence themselves, they deny the people they love, or they deny the people that love them the opportunity to know them because it's hidden. And so I think it opened up a new relationship, a new, a new depth to our relationship, because now he knew all of me. Yeah,
0: so that goes into relationships, really. So we're talking um, in the course of 42 years, where is Chris Pedretti? Like, if you Google your name now, there's obviously a wealth of crime story that comes up, right? It's overwhelming, but we don't know who you are. But when i'm thinking about who you are in 42 years and a few of the conversations we've had i know you were 15 you were a piano player um, you were a church-going loving high school kid went to college you had a job did everything that we do you got married you have children like there is this huge portion of your life that you've had so having that secret not it, well it it started as silence because everybody around you knew you lost all your friends um okay. your your parents and your your sister knew but then when you move into the rest of your life chris that becomes a secret so you've actually got a double barrel double-edged sword going it starts as huge silence and then um for all these years you've lived a life like we all have um with a massive secret so how does that affect those relationships then when you go to high school or the last years of high school, college, you meet people, um, romantic relationships, your children, how does that work? It, it doesn't work.
1: You know, the friends are
0: superficial.
1: You just don't want anyone to get to know you that well. Um, I did go to college and I um, became successful. I had a career, but I never stayed in the same position more than three years. There's just a point. Mm. And, um, for anyone out there that has PTSD, you might be able to identify with this, but it's a funny story, but it's not funny. Um, I was at one of my jobs and we were on a conference call and, uh, my dad had just died and, um, my stress level was super high. The anxiety was there. And this is how a person on PTSD thinks. So, so I said, hold on. I put them on hold. I got my purse and my jacket and I walked out and I never came back. <sighs> and that is how I solved my problems, not very well. Um, and I know that sounds really strange, but I, I think there's people that can identify with that. You know, I used to laugh with relationships. Well, he wore the wrong color socks today, so he's gone. I just didn't have the ability to connect because I didn't have the ability to trust. So And so, yes, I got married and got married and got married again. Three times?
0: I'm not happy. Third time is the charm. So I was wondering. Uh, Yes. So in that story you just talked about, you just got up and left your job. That's obviously something that was incredibly instinctive. You didn't plan it. But you did mention your dad had just died. And your dad is the one that had ordered you into silence. And changed your life. Again, um, was that a trigger? And when you're talking about PTSD and not knowing what's going on, was that a massive trigger, his death, which just catapulted into whatever happened at work that day?
1: Probably, but I think it was because my mom had already passed away. And, uh, you know, we had to deal. You know, with his passing away suddenly and getting him to the hospital and being in the ICU, there was just a lot. I should have taken time off, but you don't do that. You know, it's like no, I can handle it. I can handle it. I this is what I do, and then I broke. So I, I, I think the experience, need I needed to heal. You know, whenever there's a death in your family, you need to heal, and I just didn't. I just needed to keep moving, and I, and I think that's another um, trait that I feel like many people that have been assaulted, we've learned keep busy, keep busy, keep busy, don't stop, because you might end up thinking about it. And, um, and now I understand, you know, now, now I actually know what PTSD is, I had no idea what it was, until I was able to get help. And then my life started to make sense. And then, you know, for a while, I was really angry, because I wasted all those years being so senseless but I didn't know I was being senseless I had no idea and I just thought that's how life was because I never had support or help to tell me differently and so you know if I had any anger from these 42 years that would be it that I didn't get the help and I wish I would have spoken up I wish I would have
0: not been such a good daughter I wish I would have you know looked out for myself and I didn't okay there's two major things that are hitting me right now. Let's start the one that I wanna come back to very quickly because this is where you said you just suffered so long is that you had PTSD and during all this time you didn't know what it was. So all the reckless behavior and the maladaptive behaviors and everything unhealthy that you were doing in in your life. What can you tell survivors today that are probably in the same boat that you were Chris, Where they're going through this and all this stuff is happening, but they also don't know that they have PTSD. What can you point out to them that might highlight right now, after listening to this episode, uh, I better go have, I better go look into this, or I, got, I can wake up to this, what's happening? Well, I would say this.
1: First of all, give yourself a hug. Give yourself sympathy because you're surviving. You're doing what you need to do, do to survive every day. And every day is new. So it's day by day by day. And, you know, after I went through all that and and got the support I needed, she had to remind me, you survived. Give yourself credit. Hug yourself. Tell yourself you're a good person. Tell yourself, great job that you got this far. So that's the first thing. There's no fault and there's no blame. We did the best we could do. We do the best we can do. Um, And then secondly, really reconsider keeping that secret because talking about it, finding someone safe, you can write it in a journal. I paint a shed. Um, I have my Facebook group, which I'm sure we'll talk about where there's a lot of support. You might have a best friend. Um, You might write music or sing. Like there's so many ways to express this, to, to allow it to come, out. Because the more you keep it in, and this is not a, this is no joke, the longer you keep it in, that self-shame will grow and grow and grow. And then what comes from that is blaming yourself. And it will overcome you. It'll, it'll possess you. And the day that you're able to release it in whichever manner that you're comfortable, you're going to feel relief. You might get a little panicky, like, oh, my God, what did I just do? But you're going to feel the relief. And if you think about before you do it, you know, uh, don't jump on the first podcast. Think about where it's safe for you. Let them know that you have something you need to tell them and that you need their support. And then share as much as you want. And if you sharing said, I was raped, that's enough, then that's enough. It's your story. It's it's your message. So you're not obligated to go into every detail. You're not obligated to go into any detail. What you do want to be obligated to yourself is to is to find the next step so that you can love
0: yourself again. I think that is a really nice way to lead into the next thing. So you've got this enormous silence that you've come out of and Again, let's let's talk about the power of connection. So, something that happens so commonly with sexual so uh, sexual assault survivors, rape victims, is you disconnect. You literally are so alone and living in this crazy world of loneliness that's not talked about, and it's just normal that you disconnect and you end up living in some cases so many years, right? Um, So the power of reconnection, what, what has that meant to you after releasing this silence and reconnecting to the world again, basically? It has been like, like, uh,
1: like freedom. Uh, You know, I'm not quite sure how to explain it, like a kite flying, you know, it's uh, all of that I can leave behind. And then guess what? or it's all gone and guess what's left behind it's me me that happy girl it's me who to this day I'm just super optimistic and um I I feel like I'm 15 still like I the joy hasn't left it just was being um burdened it was being held down because anyone who has anxiety attacks or you know has to some people don't want to be in crowds, some people don't want to walk alone, you know, like sexual assault is going to leave you with some battle scars and they might not go away, but when you have support, you don't have to battle them alone. So um, I think that that reconnection has not only brought me back to myself, but has also brought me to the uh, realization for me, that I need to pay it forward for all the people that supported me. And right now I am, I'm going to be 60 next week, but it's not too late for me to live. And I am committing the rest of my years to being an advocate and to support others because, you know, uh, I think it's four out of five women don't even report their, salt. And I think it's like six out of 10 are raped or attempted to be raped in their lifetime. So imagine if all of these voices, if we could break through and say no and say out loud, this happened to me and it is not my fault. It is my rapist's fault. That's the only one that does rape is a rapist. Um, just imagine how loud our voices would be and how our culture could change. We're just so, I think that our culture is drowning in this rape culture, shame, it's your fault. And everybody wants to think that they don't live in that neighborhood, right? So no one talks about it. They put their head in the sand. And you know, and I know, and everyone listening knows it happens in every neighborhood. It happens by doctors and lawyers and um, presidents and on and on and on. There is no safe. And I, this is just my belief is I feel that people put their head in their sand. They don't wanna talk about it because once that's released it's people are gonna understand this world is not safe but it's not gonna get safer by us ignoring it. We need to face
0: it. We need to be brave and say, that's enough. that just that came to you on the back of releasing your silence you obviously had a long time where that wasn't um, part of your life and now there's another lovely quote that i came across Um, and you say my heart wants to open and it just blew me away because that one hits me here you are and um you've got all this inside you and yet you know, your soul's screaming out, my heart wants to open. Um, when did you say that and what does that mean to you? I'm actually not quite sure when I said
1: that. But <laughs> i I probably said it several times. Um, but yeah, you know, all of our hearts wants to open. We want to be happy and to be light and to be able to love and to be able to trust and to see the world in this positive mindset that is absolutely possible to live. And when you have uh, trauma, tragedy, sexual assault, whether you're a child, whether it's through date rape, whether it's through stranger rape, there are like 30 different classifications of rape, by the way. Don't know if you know that. It's insane. We spend more time on classifying what the rape is rather than dealing with it. But anyways, But that burden just won't let your heart do it. You know, that secret, that weight, you may want to, you know who you are, but you can't do it. You just can't open your heart. It's too scary. It's uh,
0: a risk. Did that, um, I do know that you have mentioned you've had amazing trauma therapy. Uh, Can you just share a little bit about um, when did that start? How did you know you needed trauma therapy? How did you find it? Do you know what kind it was? Was it successful um, to share with people? So uh, we're t- again, we talk about when it's time, and you know, um, only a survivor knows when it's time for them to tell their own story, if and when, in a safe environment. How, how did therapy play a role as part of your healing journey? Well, it
1: wasn't uh, something, I was always afraid of therapy. In fact, one of the regrets I have is when my daughter was young she wanted us to go to therapy
0: together and I refused why did she want you to go to therapy
1: just wanted our relationship to get better I think or she wanted me to understand her better she was going through some trouble and I was like absolutely not I will not go there and again I didn't realize what I was saying was so hurtful and I've had to apologize to her over and over like I'll go now (laughs) you know a long time later but um so what the day he was caught I was uh in in a hotel room a business meeting and it was six o'clock in the morning and I got a call saying that he had been caught a scary rapist has been caught and that for a normal human think, oh, that'd be great. You're celebrating. No, no, no. You know, for someone that you thought was dead and I never had to deal with it, here he is. And I was far away. I was with no support. And, um, and I, I think I actually felt every single emotion a person can feel. I was scared. I was happy. I was mad. I was terrified. I was all over the place. And I went into shock and I couldn't stop shaking and um, it was awful. And my boss got me on a plane, cried the whole way home. My husband picked me up at the airport and my husband did offer to come pick me up cause he could hear what a mess I was. But I just, again, no, 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 I don't need help. Clearly I needed help and um, it didn't get better. You know, I, it just, all the nightmares came back and it was like, I was 15 again, like that little trap door that I so successfully shut blew off its hinges. And I, a couple of times I ran out in the street when I heard somebody in the house, I thought it was him. I, um, excuse me. I, uh, yeah, I bought an alarm system, but I was too afraid to turn it on. I'm still too afraid to turn it on. I got it disconnected because if it went off then that means someone's there to rape me. Um, I ended up getting a dog, best decision ever, but I knew at that point I was out of, I, I this was way too big for me. And here I am, um, 54 or something, six, fifty-six, 56, I think. Um, and I am right back there that night. I had dreams about the um, fingerprint dust all over my walls. I had, Oh, it's just awful. And through California, they have a thing called the victims compensation fund, and you are eligible uh, for therapy on the state's dime. you know, if this is something that happened to you, and I just knew I had to do it. And I got really, really lucky, I found a magazine psychology today, and found the first person and her name is Mary. And I um, left her a message and said, Could you just call me back? And so she called me and she says, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> I don't know oh, you. Oh God. And Loaded I said, question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, no, I don't want to talk about anything. I just want to hear your voice. That was something important to me. I needed, I needed to hear a voice that I would feel comfortable talking to. So I told her and I said, I would like to talk with you. And then I think we met the next week and we met weekly for almost two years. And um, she's a trauma therapist and Trauma therapists have uh, they have more tools in their tool belt, I think, than regular talk therapy. So not once, not even one time, has Mary asked me to repeat my story because that's not what the trauma is about. The trauma is about what's happening to me. And so if I come in and say, oh my God, I just had this horrible nightmare, she'd say, let's talk about that. And we never had to talk about, I didn't have to go through every single detail with her which was really important for about the first year and a half because that's re-traumatizing. All I'm doing is retelling a scary story and instead uh, she has she does EMDR and she does brain spotting and she she has a lot she can do and basically um, I'm gonna let her at
0: some point um, tell you all about it but what it does desensitizes. EMDR Uh, is in the top of the news these days and I think it's really important for you to um, Mention that again because it is a therapy that, first of all, what does it stand for? EM, um, eye movement desensitate, desensitization, desensitate. Anyway, it's, oh no, no, it is. I actually had brain Yes.
1: Yeah. But a
0: variation of that.
1: They're the same, but different.
0: But the important thing about it, and I haven't had it. Um, is that unlike a lot of the therapies in the past, which is uh, so dangerous, is that they go straight into retelling the story and re-victimizing the survivor, and to the point where you have one session and you never go back because it was so scary. And EMDR and therapy treatments like the one that you've had are short-term. They don't require you to retell your story. It's a completely different focus which I would imagine is why it has been so successful, and I'm—I didn't realize that you would have that kind. So um, that's yeah. really eye-opening to know.
1: The difference I can say um, that why well one of the benefits is because I'm going to talk about something that's bothering me right now, not something that happened 42 years yeah. ago. So the fact that I'm having these nightmares um, probably means I'm working through something in my head related to the rape, but I don't have to talk about the rape. So we talk about the symptom and then, and I'll give you an example, because it's insane. Um, and then the symptom gets desensitized. And so that part of your brain that brings it up doesn't happen anymore. And, you know, you might have to go through quite a few of those. Um, but, and it's crazy. So, and then brain spotting, kind of think of them as the same because I can't tell you what the difference is, but I know brain spotting is more specific, and EMDR is more general. That I know. But for me, uh, she has like a, a wand, and she you follow it with your uh, eyes like that. And she her job is to watch your eyes, and my job is to pay attention to my to what's happening in my body. And so the first time that it happened um I believe it was a nightmare, and the wand, you know, it's like a red one, we'd be over here. And then I, would, and then when, I, when it got here, I'll never forget that spot, I gagged. Like, and she said, You okay? And I said, Yeah. And she went again, and then went back to us, to again, back here. So we found the spot. Wow. That spot. Brain spotting. Physically feel sick. So something was there, and then what I did is I just stared at this wand, and um, dealt with it. Like kept thinking about that feeling and what was that going on, and and her job is to take care of you. So she's watching. She knows. Okay, good. We've had enough, or you know, or she would say, "How you feeling?" And then there's tapping too. I'm sure you've heard of tapping. Um, No, I haven't actually. Okay. Well, we'll maybe in another. Okay. It's really, it's amazing. For everyone, it's that, another form of therapy. Is that right? Yes. So it's left and right, you're tapping and somehow Bad, it's yeah, never heard of it. You're right. Um, and then the effects could stay with you. They did for me a couple of days. Um, and then, you know, you go back for your next one. So I still do it. Last time I saw her, we did a session of brain spotting. So, uh, I think most people do EMDR. So I, I, I would say, just think of them as the same because sure. it's kind of the same wand. It's the same thing. It's just different. I don't, I don't know how, but, um, and so with each trigger that gets desensitized, the more stable you are, right? And then, and those little things like, you know you hear a car backfire, you know you no longer feel like ducking underneath the table kind of thing because you're able to work through it because we all have triggers you know could be a song it could be a smell it could be you know the air conditioning turning on it could be anything and 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 those are normal those are absolutely normal when you've been traumatized and it's bringing back but it can be dealt with
0: that's amazing and so um I, i guess a strong message here too is you started out by saying you weren't a believer in therapy, and that's probably a classic case for so many people, especially when you're dealing with something so atrociously painful, right? So here's a here's a real life story with you, and listening to you now is so uplifting in the in the respect that um, you can heal, and there are treatments out there that are so fine tuned for these type of traumas. Um, that they're worth exploring when you feel the time is right and in this safe environment all of those things matter so much to the overall um, success of this Um, so here you are and you've had a couple years um, of therapy now uh, let's let's see what that's done for you now Chris you've um, come through your victim impact statement you faced this killer and Now you've moved through therapy and you have reconnected to your life and you have your voice and you're here and you are taking action. What's this led to today? And this connection back to the world, how how are you, um, how are you, you're an advocate now for survivors. Let's talk about that and your Facebook group and and all these wonderful things that you're doing today. why don't we just start your Facebook group and give us a little insight into what it is, what it's called and, and how it came about.
1: So the Facebook group, well, here's how it came. We'll start with how it came about. I was going through the therapy and I was really feeling like, like me again. And I just, I I had so much gratitude for, you know, all the support I got. And I very much know that not all, sexual assault survivors get support even a little. So, you know, I think I have a little survivor's guilt because, you know, we had the DAs and we had the, the prosecutors, we had um, victim advocates. I had people just writing into me. I had two people write into me today from Australia, just, I you know, saying, hey, I just saw your story. And like, it's just amazing. Like the world isn't really angry. There, there are some loving, loving people out there. And I just thought I should continue that. You know, if I was able to heal because of the love I was given, then I need to pay it forward and to share that same love because it it has changed my whole life. So I thought COVID's here. I can't do anything in person. And so I decided to do um, a Facebook group and it took courage. I thought, how is anyone going to find me? great. Right? Like, it's not like I have a commercial out there. and <laughs> Like, how are they going to do it? And what if only one person signs up? Well, I told myself if one person signs up, that's one person that got some support they didn't have before. So just keep going, Chris. And so I did, and it grew slowly. And these women, as they came in, were so brave. And I'm going to say ninety nine percent of them had kept it in for so many years and they didn't feel safe letting that secret out because they felt they might be ostracized they might not be believed Um, somebody would say it's their fault and all of those and on and on and on maybe it was a family member can't you know can't out their family member maybe it was you know molestation or incest so all of these different reasons they had to hold it in and when they realized that they could share and there would be like this rush of love come in um it made a difference and i could see their light shining and them starting to write to other people and giving them support so what's the best gift right when you need support What's the best gift you can give back is support to somebody else. And we just keep going. So I think right now we have about uh, 609 people and would love for it to grow. There is nobody in this group that is judgmental. And trust me, if this group and you, if you join, if something rubs you wrong, you tell me right away and we get on it and I will figure it out, and if it's not good, then they go away.
0: If it's a misunderstanding, I will help with that, but everyone is safe and everybody matters. So what um, is the, um, tell everybody then, um, what the name of your Facebook group is and how you join and who it's open to. So it's called, okay, it's
1: a long name, Sexual Assault Survivors, It's Time to Tell Your Story.
0: Um, and what was it, I'm sorry. Um, Who is it open to? How do how do we find? Okay, Facebook. We obviously find you on Facebook. Um, it's a it's a private group. That's correct. So if somebody f- goes in and searches survivors, it's time to tell your story. Sexual assault survivors, it's time to tell your story. That's long. Sorry. And w- what are they going to have to do? They have to join, and you have to approve them. But is it just for survivors? Is it just for women? Is it for um, families of survivors? Anybody,
1: um, and thank you for saying families of survivors because families of survivors, once they find out, they need help, they need support. They wonder where were they? Why weren't they to help you? My sister to this day still apologizes to me. I had no idea that this is what you went through and I never even said anything to you. So they need support um, and it's open to anybody, men or women, men get raped too. More than six. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's probably even a bigger secret for them because they're taught to be tough and manly and they are tough and manly, even if they get raped, but that just doesn't go along with our, what what our culture says. Uh, But we do have men in there and uh, it's private in the sense that nobody can just hop on, you know, know your nearby pervert can't just hop on and and hear stories or whatnot you do have to answer some questions i have an administrator in australia and i'm an administrator so that means if anybody wants to join or there is a problem there is somebody 24 hours a day that can handle it like like we're good we switch you know our time zones and and it it works i feel good going to sleep at night because i know there's somebody else's eyes on the group, it's very personal to me. And um, so that's all you have to do is uh, I think there's three questions and the questions are, you know, are you a survivor or a supporter? Um, are you over 18? And I literally have forgotten the next one, but they're very, horrible. pretty straightforward. No, you know, tell me your life. That's not what it is. I don't want anyone under 18 because I don't want anyone to have to be censored in the group. And I also don't want to harm a fifteen-year-old. You know, like maybe this support
0: group wouldn't be perfect for a a young child. Sure. Uh, And this is entirely a support group. So talk real quickly about um, obviously a survivor is being is given the platform and the in the space a safe space to connect and be supported. Um, and whether or not they speak up on the page, just to be anonymous even, is such an incredible connection that survivors typically go their whole lives without. So that's that's strong yeah. in itself. But that the whole side of the survivor's families, or if you have a loved one in your life, um, that's not the survivor, but how do they learn to cope with this person who's gone through um, these traumas? And is it a good place for them to learn about how to support a survivor.
1: Yes. Um, and I, I did watch your podcast with your brother. And when you guys talked about the day he found out at the at your favorite restaurant. And, um, you know, you were very fortunate that you had such a supportive uh, family member to be there for you. And you knew he was supportive. So you felt safe telling him. Um, but not all supporters know what to do. Supporters many times can give off the wrong impression. Like they get uncomfortable or they say, oh my God. And then, uh, you know, uh, one of the gals in our group, we, we were talking about, what can you say? And her answer, it's just funny. It's, you know, don't worry, it's not contagious. <laughs> yeah. Because they look so shocked and they back up and they're like, oh my God. And that's and then they how never they... talk about it again. Never. <laughs> and you're like, never. oh, okay. That's why she says, it's not contagious. It's okay. We can talk about this because they don't know what to do,
0: you know? And and And, and to be fair, and to be fair, no one has ever educated people on how to support a survivor of trauma. So it's not their fault. They're not equipped with the language or the skills. So I find it fascinating that in effect, you're doing this and helping people because we need help on how to handle this.
1: And we want supporters to be there because if you have... If you have a, a group of survivors only, right? We're still keeping it a secret. Sure. And we are. still don't want the outside world to know. But if Very good point. In, and now they're learning and they're supporting. The next time they hear a stupid rape joke, they can say not appropriate. Yep. Don't appreciate that at all. Do you know that, you know five out of 10 women, but, you know, if they have the ammunition, we can start calling people on it. And it's not just us. There are plenty of people out there that want to support. They just get scared. They don't want to damage us further.
0: So this is a really special invitation then. And I, I, I can see just if you're a survivor and you join this group and you have loved ones in your life and you don't know where that next step lies, this would be an amazing starting point to invite that close relative, family member or friend or partner, whatever it is, to this group so that you have something to share where you're actually not having to have conversation between yourselves, but you're, you're drawing from a group like this that is, has so much diversity in gender and in relationship to trauma that you can start getting comfortable, it becomes more normal, and you get a real tangible feel um, for what's happening on both sides. And it's also, as a survivor myself, I have no idea what it's like to be the parent of me, or the sister or brother of me, or my husband. I don't know what that feels like, because I'm the survivor. So this is a really dynamic relationship in a positive light that's education and help to open those doors that never get opened and elicit conversations that potentially never happen. And it's just a really great starting point, a stepping stone.
1: Yeah, and this group, um, you know, we talked about uh, all the diversity. We have people um, primarily from the United States, but we have uh, people from Australia and Canada, United Kingdom, Um, and then we have, you know, just, you know, fours and fives in, in, in different China, you know, in different areas, but it's diverse, not just in who we are, but our cultures.
0: Sure. As well. And there's another point to this whole thing. So sexual assault does not discriminate. It's men, women, and children, and it's in every country of the world. So there's that common denominator. So, so long as there's Facebook in your region or in your country, you have access to to a group like this, that in so many respects, Chris, is life changing and life saving, because without this kind of support, people can walk alone for a lot of years. And those bad behaviors and the coping mechanisms that we talk about that are ruthless and dangerous, um, potentially are fatal in so many cases. So this is so much more when people hear about a support group. I get really passionate about it because support is such a limited word. Of course, it's support, but it's so much more than that. It's.
1: Can I, I tell? Guess, yeah,
0: go ahead. There's no words for it, really.
1: Um, it, it's a little depressing story, but but it's also very uplifting at the same time. So you know, during uh, the COVID break for us, uh, it lasted a whole like three months, but. Uh, And so I had get-togethers that were face-to-face and we'd have brunch and we'd have key speakers because we'd already connected online, but it was important that we could, like, they came in as strangers or maybe acquaintances, but they left as family. And there was one lady, her name is Luana, and she uh, had been raped and she just had so much shame that she could not tell her story. And so one day she called me and she said, can I come over? I think I'm ready. And so I said, yeah, yeah. Come on over and got a nice place outside where, you know, nobody would hear us. And, and she told me her story and she felt better. She said, can I just stay here for a little while and just enjoy, you know, the tree, and the birds. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go on inside but you stay as long as you want. Well, two months later or one month later, Luana got very ill and she had heart failure, and she died. And as sad as that was, I felt so uplifted for her because she did not have to take that secret with her. You know, it wasn't, <coughs> Excuse me. Anymore. she got it out and she was able, even if it was just for a little while, she was able to hear someone say, this was not your fault. Wow. And so, Anyways,
0: so- And that, did that lead, did that story lead, um, again, for our listeners that don't know the next part of your Facebook group, you actually hold monthly meetings at your home and gatherings, I'm not sure what you call them, let us know. Uh, is something, a brunch? Okay, tell us, what, what do you do once a month um, at your home as part of this Facebook group? Well, we right now I've had to
1: pause Because COVID variant and uh, the health of these people are far more important to me than um, risking, you know, risking their their health when because of COVID, we just don't know. So, but what we did and what we will do as soon as we can is they I hold a brunch and about thirty five people come at your home at my home. it's a large it's a large backyard so social distancing is is there and uh we serve brunch and we uh paint on my shed which i wish i could show you right now but uh those that want to they just put encouraging messages for other people and i have a whole journey mural on there and they that kind of serves as a warming up spot you know to get to know each other um and then we have a speaker. So uh, we had uh, anne Marie Schubert, who is our district attorney here in Sacramento, Um, we had Carol Daly speak about what it was like to be an investigator of women's crimes and then go home, bring that home with her. Um, We had the police department come out to talk about how they handle rape cases now, very different than before. Um, The victim actually has control if the victim says I don't want this part of the rape kit, then they won't do that part like it's under her you know the thing that's taken from us is control right all over the place and so they give it back, they have a soft interview room with couches and soft lights and just much more victim friendly and then. Um, We were going to have Mary, the trauma therapist. She was speaking at our next one, but I canceled it because she was a little nervous about COVID. So I'm hoping she can visit. So she's going to come
0: on with us and we'll do it here. Absolutely.
1: And we'll talk all about EMDR and all of that. Love it. Um, And then we just, uh, then there's a time for anyone who is ready to tell their story to take the mic and tell their story and I think we had maybe eight or nine but that's eight or nine more people than that would have ever said it publicly before and they got support and um hugs and and gratitude it's, for sharing because they inspired the next person it's just like like uh coming home from or, you know Disneyland like you had such a great day you know sometimes I would just
0: sit there and have a glass of wine and just <laughs> it's something incredible to watch some to watch the cycle get broken and this is what we go back to one person telling their story it's that trickle-on effect where you have no idea what your voice is going to do or how it's going to impact somebody else in this life there'll be people listening to you today that you're never going to meet you're never going to hear from but your story and your voice today is going to it's going to have an impact on somebody and change a life, and that's going to change another life, and and so on and so on. So when you're in your backyard and you actually have that tangible, physical encounter with humans, this is a human story. These are human issues. We're people, and you get to see that happen, and you you've been a catalyst for that. I can't imagine how how fulfilling that would feel to know what you've come through, and this ties into something again. I believe so passionately about is how creating meaning meaning out of something horrible is such an important part of our healing process and our recovery process. And how we do that and when we do that um, is a different journey for every single one of us. But what you're doing in your backyard is you've created meaning for yourself in your healing and your recovery process. And as a byproduct you are doing the same and opening a platform for other people to create meaning and carry that on in their lives and, and so forth. So it, it's it's quite a trickle-on effect. It's-
1: yeah, I, I feel like my dream would be for replicate these kind of backyard get-togethers yeah. in different areas of the nation or, or different countries. Um, I do wanna say that before I forget, if anyone who is listening Um, would like to check out the group, you can find me on Facebook, Chris Pedretti. And just let me know, hey, I, I saw you on here and I want you to know because I want to get to know you. Like it's personal, right? And whenever anyone ever messages me on the Facebook, I will always answer. I promise you, it'll never go ignored. There was a time when there was some support out there and they said, yeah, just write me anytime. And I did and they never answered me. And I felt more alone, you know, it's like, sure, you're now, you're someone I can't trust. So I promise you, I won't do that. And, um, I've, I have a lot of new friends because of that direct outreach.
0: Chris, um, number one, before I go to the next thing, uh, in terms of your Facebook group, when I put this episode up, I will have all your information for listeners as well. And I'll have the image of your shed we'll make sure that people can find you. And even if they need to reference, um, if they forget some reason and they reference OpenStance or Tracy or whatever, so that you have that connection, Um, but we'll make sure everybody um, can find you through this platform as well. But what you just said leads me to, um, what might bring us to a nice wrap up today is all the nice friends that you found. now. I've listened to your impact statement that's available on YouTube, your 11 minutes of you pouring out, 42 years since your assault and your attack. And one of the things, you you loaded up, there's so much in there, but the one thing that really hit me in the middle of it that you lost in all of this were friends. You were 15, your friends fell away, you, you had to move. And through the course of your life, I heard quite clearly that you had a hard time with friends, making friends, and maybe didn't have so many friends. So, on a high note, how has this group and how has this place in your life opened up friendships that may have been missing for your whole life? It is such a gift
1: and um i do have a lot of people that care about me and i care a lot about them and one of the gals she actually is a a golden state killer victim herself of course we didn't know each other we met through this journey and um for the first time uh a month and a half ago we actually went up to her cabin together like real friends and This is going to sound funny, but, and it is funny, but we're like, we're not rape friends. We're friend friends. We're real friends. Yeah. And I know that sounds crazy, but many victims and survivors, they, they don't make those connections that deep. And so now it's kind of a thing. know you're not my rape friend you're my friend friend you graduated (laughs) you graduated yeah and you opened my heart and I'm letting you in and I feel like that is true with so many of the people in the group even people I haven't met you know um I talk to people from Australia often and I consider them some of my good friends. I wish you guys would lift your travel ban yeah so you know we could see each other but you know, the bond and the empathy and the love and the support, like you don't need to know each other face to face. It's great if you do, but it's not necessary in order to form a really strong bond because it's trust. And it's the trust is what most of us have lost. And being able
0: to get that back little by little is really a great feeling. Amazing. Well, I think that's such a high note to end on today. You've been um, incredibly personal and forthcoming, and um, your experience is just something that's gonna open a lot of doors for people listening that may be in similar situations. Um, And I'm very, very grateful um, that you've trusted me with with your story and in things that are so personal. So thanks for being here today. And thanks for sharing on behalf of everybody else that needs to hear what you have to say. Um, and I feel very fortunate because you're you're my friend now. And I'm I am so, so grateful that um, I've made your friendship through this. <laughs> something Absolutely. meaningful, something meaningful has come. I, I can't even tell you how thankful I am for giving
1: me this opportunity because, um, you know, we're talking about a really crappy subject. And yeah. I am on top of- Okay, so that, you know, that experience doesn't have to be forever. You know, you can turn crap into good. You can turn uh, pain into purpose. You can, you will find your way. You just have to believe that you can and let us see see How much you And I felt my heart looking at that screen.